It's and in Russia, high-level sources within the Kremlin report that Russian President Vladimir Putin has learned of an assassination plot against former Prime Minister Vladimir Putin, masterminded by former KGB director Vladimir Putin. Putin was reportedly heard raving that he knew Putin's fingerprints were all over the plan to kill Putin and signed an executive order authorizing Putin to assassinate Putin before Putin could give Putin the go-ahead to have Putin assassinate Putin. Today on Categorical Imperatives, we are talking about the Russia and Ukraine war. Because, while that opening clip from The Onion may be satire, it is satire that doesn't sound nearly as far-fetched as it would have a few weeks ago. Because it seems the entire country has lost their collective goddamn minds and made Vladimir Putin the source of everything bad in the world because he is an evil bad man who is both evil and bad. Now, while the guy is a dick and he is certainly responsible for the war taking place right now, there is much more nuance and complexity to the important issues surrounding this war. In a sense, as you guys know, I'm really more of a law-talking guy. I move for a bad court thingy. You mean a mistrial? Yeah. That's why you're the judge and I'm the law-talking guy. The lawyer. Right. I thought I would bring on a foreign policy-talking guy. So I have Dave DeCamp I brought back on the show again uh, to discuss these issues surrounding the war and to get a complete picture of what is going on. Now, Dave is the news editor over at Antiwar.com, and he and everyone over there have been doing a great job covering this conflict. Uh, And I mean that in a very broad sense, uh, because this isn't a discussion that is a couple weeks or even months old. This is years of history that need to be understood uh, to really understand what is going on. And antiwar.com, more than any other source in my opinion, is the best place to find that kind of deep, uh, really thorough coverage. So I will put a link to uh, their site down in the video description, as well as just a few of my favorite articles from Dave that I found especially helpful and interesting in understanding the ongoing and unfolding situation. So stay tuned for a great discussion that we had right after this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to uh, Categorical Imperatives. Uh, today, I am joined by Dave DeCamp. He is the news editor for Antiwar.com. I, I apologize. We're having some technical difficulties, which is why uh, I'm doing this Skype uh, call uh, right now. But uh, d- anyways, Dave, thank you so much for uh, joining me here today. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah. So uh, you're here. I want to talk about uh, what is going on in Russia. And so I guess the first thing is, can you give us some idea of uh, just what it looks like on the ground? Yeah, well, so it looks like, you know, their kind of assault, their invasion on Ukraine um, is focused on a few kind of key areas Um, in the southeast there in the Donbass region, the Donetsk uh, Oblast. There's the city of Maripol where there's a lot of heavy fighting. that's on the Sea of Azov. And, uh, you know, um, it's first, it's important for people to understand that before 
Putin, you know, launched this attack, uh, there was a war going on in eastern Ukraine for the past eight years since 2014 when the U.S. backed uh, the ousting of Viktor Yanukovych, who was seen as the he was the more Russia friendly president. And uh, that coup sparked the separatists in the Donbass in the Donetsk and Luhansk republics is what they call themselves to declare independence from Kiev. And that sparked uh, a war uh, in the Donbass there. And it's, it was a pretty brutal war for a few years. Uh, a ceasefire uh, was agreed to under the Minsk Accords, um, but they were never fully implemented. So it, there was always uh, ceasefire violations. You know, the war was a stalemate pretty much for the past six years, but there was always ceasefire violations and shelling on either side. A lot of civilians were killed by Ukrainian forces. Um so that's kind of the background that people have to understand. All right. So when Putin ordered his uh, his invasion, you know, he framed it as uh, first he recognized Donetsk and Luhansk, those two breakaway republics. And so right. So a big part of the fighting is focused on, you know, taking the whole Donbass region there that the separatists claim from uh, the Ukrainian forces that are there and. You know, Putin has said he's denazifying Ukraine. That's part of his operation. Now, he does exaggerate, I think, you know, uh, how how many Nazis there are in Ukraine and Ukraine's government. But there is a real, you know, these days everybody gets called a Nazi now by Western media. But there are real, there's real neo-Nazi uh, elements in Ukraine. Uh, the most well-known kind of, the most infamous is the Azov Battalion. And they're in the city of of Maripol. They're part of the Ukrainian National Guard now. So the Russian assault there is kind of more heavy than in the other areas. Um, and then there's, they're also launching strikes on Kiev still. Um, northeast city of Kharkiv has seen a lot of shelling and uh, just cities along the, the Black Sea, uh, the Denepa River there. Um, but it's mostly focused in eastern Ukraine. Um, and that's, you know, where we're at now. Uh, we haven't seen, you know, the full force of the Russian Air Force yet uh, um, as they're still trying to get some terms out of Ukraine for a surrender. And uh, the separatists, I, I mean, there was an actual request on their part for, for help from Russia, right? I, I mean, so it, it, this wasn't just entirely Putin acting on his own. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the separatists in 2014, they asked to join Russia back then uh, when Putin took uh, Crimea. Um, so they, for a long time, they've been asking Russia for recognition and for help. Um, and I have to say, I think the last time we talked, I was really you know, downplaying the chances of Russia invading Ukraine. I, I thought a lot of it was hype. I thought it was the U.S. intelligence agencies lying again. Um, but you know, there was always a possibility of this war flaring up in eastern Ukraine. But what Putin has done, ordered is clearly more than just taking the Donbass. Um, but right now it, it still doesn't look like to me that he's, he's not trying to take over Ukraine. He, 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 you know, he wants Crimea and Donbass Crimea to be officially recognized as part of Russia by Ukraine. And he wants the Donbass to be, you know, independent. They would be de facto part of Russia. Um, even if he doesn't formally absorb them into the Russian Federation. Um, so, and then the, those are the terms that Russia is has laid out to Ukraine. They they've said that the fighting would stop if Ukraine declared its neutrality, which meaning it wouldn't be aligned with NATO 
and it wouldn't try to join the EU. Um, and if if they recognize Crimea as Russian and recognize the independence of the Donbass. Now, he's also saying they have to demilitarize, denazify. So it depends on how far those, you know, terms are. But for for now, it, it does seem like um, the war could be stopped if the U.S. Uh, and it's because right now the U.S. and its NATO allies, they're just flooding Ukraine with weapons. They're sending them Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, the Javelin anti-tank missiles. They're thinking about sending them fighter jets. Um, so uh, there's not really any push that I've seen from the Biden administration to push Zelensky and Ukraine to to declare neutrality, to say, hey, we're not coming to fight Russia for you. So uh, you would be better off trying to um, work something out, uh, find a deal here. Um, it seems like the U.S. is kind of stoking it uh, and that they want to fund like an insurgency against Russia and bog Putin down in this war. Yeah, well, it, yeah, and, and we've even been seeing quite a bit of uh, uh, saber rattling coming from uh, the left and the right, really, of people who uh, really uh, seem to be very insistent that we owe it to Ukraine to actually get in there and, and invest our own troops. So, I mean, do you think that that's something that's realistic, or does the fact that Biden's uh, seems seems genuinely opposed to that is, is that a good sign at least? Yeah, I mean, he said him and uh, Stoltenberg, he's the head of NATO. They've both said that they're not sending troops into Ukraine to fight Russia. Um, but, you know, it's pretty scary. There's a lot of momentum now uh, for this idea of imposing a no-fly zone over Ukraine. That's something Zelensky is, like, basically begging for the U.S. and NATO to do. And what people don't understand is that a no-fly zone means that the U.S. would have to enforce it by shooting down Russian planes and by bombing Russian like air defenses in Russia and probably Belarus too, it would mean a direct war with Russia, which would mean <laughs> World War Three, really. And it could very quickly turn into nuclear war. Um, so far, it's just really kind of the most extreme hawks in Congress. It, only person I've seen really call for it is Adam Kinzinger, um, a Republican. And but even like Marco Rubio, who's a serious hawk, he's saying like we can't do this, we can't do the no fly zone. But I mean, I've seen, I saw there was like protests, and I think it was Chicago. I, I think there's a lot of like Ukrainian Americans there, something calling for the U.S. to close the sky over Ukraine. But that people need to understand that that means direct war with Russia, and that just can't can't happen. And uh, you know, this is part of the whole thing is that the U.S. Biden is they're they're they were never going to help Ukraine uh, fight against Russia, um, but they kind of led Ukraine down this path of accepting all this help from NATO and becoming kind of a de facto NATO member uh, without the collective defense uh, treaty. Um, so it's really just very the U.S. That support for Ukraine is very res like much uh, responsible for Putin making his decision to invade. Of course, it's all, you know, he's the one that did it and he's the one that's dropping the bombs. But you have to understand the events leading up to this. Uh, I don't think it it needed to happen and it could have been avoided, I believe, by the U.S. if they actually tried some diplomacy. Right. Uh, and the other thing that I've heard is uh, that the Ukraine has applied to the EU for membership. Uh, is that a, a possible alternative at this point? Is that something that you could see happening? 
Um, yeah, Zelensky, he like formally applied the other day. Uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon, at least even the process. Like if you go on the EU website and you look at their process for a member for a state to join, it's like, it would take a few years as it is. And, uh, some, and, and it would need the approval of all 27, I think there's 27 EU countries of all, all the EU countries would need to approve it. And there's already, uh, I've seen some say that they're against the idea, so I, I don't see that happening. <clears throat> All right. Uh, and there were uh, so two different things I wanted to ask you about here uh, as as far as uh, the U.S. coming into this. And that I've been seeing uh, people talk about, uh, let me see, it's the, the Bucharest Memorandum and Article 5. Uh, and people, uh, it seems like a lot of people are saying that these are uh, agreements that could really trigger us into, like to give us no choice, but you have to go in and uh, support NATO. But the way I uh, read, especially like the Bu- the Bucharest Memorandum, the way I read the agreement, uh, it doesn't seem like that's the case. Uh, can you kind of clear clear that up? Yeah, the Bucharest Memorandum, I, I don't see, I've seen people say that too, but I don't see how any way that that uh, implies that the U.S. is supposed to come defend Ukraine uh, because they gave up their Soviet-era nuclear weapons. Um, I don't really understand how people make that leap. And then with Article 5, that's the uh, that's the uh, NATO, that's part of the NATO treaty that triggers the collective uh defense of the alliance and that would only be triggered if the fighting spilled into a nato country which you know there's a lot of nato countries that border ukraine and russia now um poland uh and then you have all the baltic states um and even just in the area there romania um so but as it stands now you know ukraine's not a nato member so it doesn't trigger article five this war um and like I said, I mean, there's no way they're, they're going to join NATO now um, as they're fighting against Russia. Yeah. I, um, I guess uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about uh, is uh, we've been hearing uh, about Putin uh, putting nuclear forces on alert. And that really sounds bad. But what I'm wondering is, is that something that's maybe being overreported like is that maybe something that's a little more common than we think and they're just putting a bad spin on it or how how serious is is that well practically speaking like nuclear russia and the u.s's nuclear forces are you know pretty much always ready to go at a moment's notice yeah. so putin's order was you know for public consumption i i think um and but i don't think there was anything I don't think it's been reported wrongly. I mean, he 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 did that because he wanted to send a message, and I think we have to take that message seriously. Um, as you can see, for the past few months leading up to the invasion, the U.S. wasn't taking what Putin was saying seriously, and I falsely I was I was wrong uh, during you know the negotiations before the invasion. Uh, Putin was demanding that the U.S. guarantee that Ukraine won't ever join NATO, and the U.S. kind of refused to even though biden himself said that they're not joining nato anytime soon um but they also they made counter offers for some what i thought was some pretty serious offers for arms control so i thought maybe that would be enough uh to to work something out but i it turned out i was wrong and 
you know, what's kind of shocking to me is that, so if the U.S. intelligence was right that Russia was planning this invasion, uh, how could they not try to stop it by just saying Ukraine's never going to join NATO? Like, it's just such a um, inconsequential thing. Uh, so that's why, you know, I, I do think that um, a lot of people in the Biden administration, you know, wanted this to happen. And now you see the sanctions are really trying to isolate Russia. And, you know, we're kind of entering like a new phase with Russia that seems to be even worse than during the Cold War. I mean, I, I wasn't alive during the Cold War. I was born in 1990. But from how I understand it, just from, you know, reading about it and talking to people that were alive then is that it was always kind of the this the idea of the Soviet Union and the U.S. going to war directly was just completely unthinkable um, because of all the nukes. Now, there is less nukes now, but they still both have about 6,000. Russia and the U.S. each have about, give or take a few hundred, they each have about 6,000 nuclear warheads. It's 90% of the nukes in the world. Um, so, you know, the, the attitude should still be that, that it's, we can't go to war with Russia. It should be unthinkable. It shouldn't even be an option to do something like a no-fly zone or put troops in Ukraine. Right. I, and I, along those lines, too, I, as far as these sanctions go, I, and, and sanctions recently, it seems like they've become seen by a lot of people as like almost a, a first line of defense against countries that are acting up as though it's really no big deal to uh, put these in place. But um, I mean, isn't that traditionally something that is uh, seen as an act of war, like a blockade? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, and that's what they do amount to when they really, uh, when they really sanction a country, like countries like um, Iran and Venezuela. Um, they, you know, they're essentially under economic blockade by the U.S. And that's what the steps that they're trying to take with Russia now. Um, and, you know, the U.S. is really quick to use sanctions and it's going to backfire uh, as we're seeing now. You know, Russia, these sanctions are going to hurt Russia kind of initially, um, but they've been preparing for this, I think. And you have uh, China now and Russia are growing closer together because they're kind of facing similar pressure. I mean, we still have a major trade relationship with China and we would it would take years and years to really change that. But. Um, we have been hitting China with sanctions and we're kind of militarizing areas near China. Um, so, you know, kind of facing that same pressure, it's kind of it's it's natural for them to grow for their trade relationship to grow. And Russia has been cutting big oil deals with China. And now just today, Biden uh, banned the import of Russian oil. And, you know, if you look at gas prices around the country, uh that's just such a mistake. Yeah, it's not just going to hurt Russia. It's going to really hurt Americans. Um, I think it. I think we only import like about 3% of our oil and gas from Russia. I might have that number wrong, but it, we're still going to, we're still going to really feel it. Um, and, you know, the sanctions, you know, people in Russia, they're the ones that are really going to suffer from the sanctions. It's not Putin and it's not his inner circle. They'll, they'll be able to get by no problem. Um, yeah. It, it it's it's regular people and it and it is collective punishment and they know this you know Biden at a state of the union you know he bragged about how the hit 
that Russia's economy was taking. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you put the shoe on the other foot, if there was a country powerful enough to really hurt the United States um, or even, let's say, China just stopped exporting stuff to, to the U.S., I mean, that would we would probably consider that an act of war. Um, and that's that's what we're doing to Russia. Yeah. And uh, I I think I heard something earlier today about uh China and, and Russia growing together economically, it, is, it sounds like China's uh, kind of stepping in as far as the way Russia's been cut off to uh, like the SWIFT international uh, finance system. Uh, have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I, I don't know too much like the really the details about China's. I know they have an alternative to it, but um, and I know that uh, one oil deal that they just made with uh, Russia, they used the want the Chinese currency uh, to make the deal uh, as opposed to the U.S. dollar. Um, so, you know, you see things like that. And this is what kind of trying to control the world, as the U.S. has done, is, is going to inevitably lead to, I think, is um, the kind of collapse of the U.S.-led system when more and more countries move away from the dollar. Uh, and that can really hurt. Uh, you know the U.S. empire. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, that's really one of, one of the few things we still have going for us is still being the nation's reserve, or the world's reserve currency. Mm-hmm. So, I right, uh, well, I wanted to uh, also talk about uh, I like misinformation and and disinformation. Uh, and so I, I'm. I, I kind of asked you a question. I put it to you yesterday, but uh, as far as people such as myself who uh, don't necessarily have time to uh, deal with foreign policy and foreign affairs as, as much as uh, someone like you do, uh, how can we, uh, like, you know, especially with watching the corporate media uh, or consuming news in general, uh, what can people do uh, to to kind of parse out truth from, uh, you know, what's false or fact from fiction. Yeah, well, it's really hard, especially as like, you know, a conflict is happening as fight, like the fighting that we see in Ukraine. Um, it's really hard to know what's what's what. And I think that's the first thing, I, you know, people should just keep in mind um, is that, you know, the initial reports that you're going to get from these cities in Ukraine, you know, probably aren't going to be uh, accurate. Um, right now, especially, you know, Ukraine, they're trying to get the U S and NATO involved. So they have an interest in making things look worse than they are. And that's not to excuse, uh, what Russia's doing. You know, they're, um, they've said that they're only targeting, you know, military targets, but that's at this point, that's clearly not, uh, true. And even if they were, you know, the, you know, the nature of airstrikes of bombing places is uh, civilians are going to be killed because you can't control uh, what you hit. And we see that with the U.S., you know, the drone war. Um, so I think that's the first thing people need to understand is kind of just be skeptical of everything. If you hear when you hear about casualties and um, even just incidents, I mean, there was that. The, the kind of the most infamous one that's come out of this now is this is this snake island story it's a little island in the black sea it's like one of the first days of the of the when the fighting first really broke out um and zelensky the president of ukraine said 13 ukrainian soldiers died defending uh 
Snake Island from Russia, and they had a, a video of or a recording of them telling the Russian warship to go F themselves, and then they all died. Well, it turned out that wasn't true. They all uh, were taken as hostages. They surrendered, and that's what Russia said happened that same day. Um, so that should, you know, make everybody cautious of the information we're getting. And we're going to find out, you know, it's also, you don't need to know everything that's happening at once. Like you have to, there, you know, eventually we're going to really find out what, what has been happening in these early days of this war. Uh, and when it comes to kind of sorting through all this stuff, I mean, that's part of a, that's a big part of what we do at antiwar.com and in the news section, um, we sort th- we're sorting through hundreds of articles each day right now, and we put up the ones that we think are are worth something. And uh, you know, we write, I write up some things. And for me, I've been mostly focusing on like the U.S. side of it, what the U.S. is doing, what NATO is doing, um, the increased support for Ukraine, and the negotiation side of it, because you know, hopefully, something hap- they work something out here so that this doesn't drag out for as long as it could and uh um, a lot of things we post like if you go on our website you'll see in the lower section we have just linked linked articles from all over the web there and a lot of things we post are are from reuters like their newswire um they're just short articles that they don't editorialize it just say a few sentences of what they're reporting and you know you'll say ukraine says this uh say 21 civilians killed in this airstrike in Kharkiv, let's just say, uh, and you, and it's Ukrainian authorities saying it, you know, just, you gotta see where, see where the number's coming from. Um, I think the UN, they've been, uh, keeping up a civilian count. They say over 400 civilians have been killed so far. Ukraine is saying it's like over 2000. So I would be more inclined to believe the UN number, even though sometimes the UN isn't really the best source but right now it's uh i think the best thing we have um and then you know you see these huge conflicting casualties uh russia said the other day that about 500 of their troops have been killed and i think ukraine is saying that they've killed like 4000 russian troops so you you got to assume the truth is somewhere in the middle you know ukraine has an interest in 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 portraying that they're doing better than they are in the battles and russia has an interest in kind of downplaying their casualties but um so, yeah, I mean, that's just all stuff to keep in mind. And then whenever something happens in foreign policy, like if you don't really pay attention to it too much, I mean, you see with this Ukraine thing, you know, all of the mainstream reporting and all of the people that weren't paying attention to the war in eastern Ukraine, that weren't paying attention to the negotiations between the U.S. and Russia that have been happening for a few years that didn't realize that the U.S. was arming uh ukraine to fight a war on russia's border that's been going on for eight years and people that don't understand you know the history of nato expansion after the cold war and uh the collapsing arms control treaties um that's another big thing uh is that uh during the trump administration the u.s pulled out of a few uh arms control deals with Russia and uh, you know that that has played into all of this so it's always the the historical context you're not going to find in the mainstream reporting Um, and you can look it's always just good to 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 try to look into the history of a conflict if you don't know much about it and you see it in the news a lot because they're always leaving something out and there's they have an agenda to push yeah definitely 
yeah, that was I think really good advice too. That you don't you don't need to know uh, everything right away necessarily. And I think a lot of people, and myself included, I I really want to know everything that's going on right now. And I I definitely think that's good advice to just kind of be patient sometimes and just sort of let the truth filter through. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. And so I guess is there anything else? Uh, about what's going on that uh, I haven't asked you about that is we're talking about, or maybe an aspect of this that people uh, in the corporate media aren't talking about, that, uh, something that people need to understand uh, that isn't really being brought up at this point uh, that you'd like to kind of get across? Well, yeah, and I've been kind of mentioning it since we've started talking, but really for from the U.S., perspective here uh is that like what i by flooding weapons into ukraine and uh what it 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 also appears that the the biden administration is kind of discouraging ukraine from talking to russia uh putin has uh not putin uh, biden has no plans to talk with putin the white house said the other day they're not trying to resolve this diplomatically and i think that's really uh important to know because you think if they really care about ukrainians they would be trying all avenues to resolve the conflict besides just giving ukraine weapons you know you'd at least be exploring diplomatic options i would think and i think that really says something um i don't think you know a lot of people that have their mind made up about putin aren't going to believe this uh but i don't think he's trying to take over ukraine i don't think he's trying to bring back the soviet union uh and I think he has clear goals that, that he's laid out. And I, I don't ha- have a reason to think he would ever try to go beyond that. Um, and, you know, that's not just me. Uh, uh, somebody who's been really good on this and he's on the news a lot these days is uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, who he's retired. Um, he was actually appointed as a special advisor to Trump's secretary of defense in like like the last two months of the trump administration he finally hired somebody good um and but he was right because a lot of us were kind of were wrong uh that i didn't think this would happen uh the way it did but mcgregor said it said he expected it to happen he expected this invasion to happen and he's also saying that putin doesn't want to go west of the denipa river in ukraine you can look on a map you see it goes through kiev um and I, you know, I think we should listen to him because he was right about the invasion and uh, and he seems pretty certain about uh, what Putin's goals are. And it's also good to just listen to what Putin says. He he gave a speech right after he recognized the Donbass, right before he ordered the operation. It was a long speech, maybe an hour long. And he, you know, all the mainstream Western press just picked up on the fact that he gave it was like kind of a history lesson and he was talking about how the soviet how the communists made ukraine its own country and uh the parts of eastern ukraine uh aren't russia because of the communists and they took this as him trying to rewrite history and saying ukraine doesn't have a right to exist as a country but then if the other half of his speech was all about nato expansion it was all about the u.s backing a coup in ukraine and putting um uh, you know, a Western-friendly government in, in power there. So it's 
all about. It's very clearly uh, all about the U.S. and NATO's uh, presence in the region and uh, and support for the Ukrainian government against Russia. Uh, so people just need to understand that. And if the U.S. has any power in this situation, it's not to go to war with Russia because the U.S. can't go to war with Russia. It's to push Ukraine to accept the diplomatic settlement. And at this point, um, it's not going to be as good as it could have been before the war for Ukraine. But I really do think that Russia is willing to, um, you know, not take over the country and uh, as long as it gets Crimea recognized and the Donbass recognized as independent and NATO weapons aren't flooding into the country. All right. Uh, cool. Well, I think uh, we're going to wrap it up there then. Uh, so uh, everyone definitely make sure to uh, uh, check out antiwar.com. Uh, and they, they really are the best place to uh, get news about this kind of stuff. Uh, really, uh, yeah, they do fantastic work. So go check uh, Dave uh, and everybody else. There's Scott Horton, Kyle Lanzalone, uh, Ray McGovern, a lot of really good people writing over there. So, all right. Anyway, uh, Dave, thank you so much for giving me some of your time here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Like Freddie Mercury. <laughs>